0: my fear doesn't stand a chance when what when i stand in your love and i know a lot of us maybe this morning have some fear or we have some anxiety or we have some nervousness but they don't stand a chance when when i stand in your love we're wrapping up a series entitled unconditionally and this is a really powerful one because so many of us experience the love or the acceptance of other people if the conditions are right, if we act the part, if we do things the right way. But the scripture tells us over and over and over again that we are unconditionally loved by God. That's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited love of God. We can't earn it, we can't attain it, we can't obtain it, we don't deserve it. And yet it's so freely offered. And that's a message that I think someone in here needs to hear this morning, that you are so loved by God. Now, I've missed you guys over the last couple of weeks. It's been a time of healing, a time of rest, a time of prayer, even a time of planning and preparation for this next season here at Chapel Roswell. And God is doing mighty things here in this community of faith. It's such an honor to be a part of it. The last few weeks has also really demonstrated the fact that here at Roswell United Methodist Church, there are so many gifts and graces, so many powerful messages from different voices that we're able to hear from different people, but all the same theme, that you are loved unconditionally about God. And if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, if you hear nothing else that comes from our time together this morning, know that God wants to bring about powerful change to your life. Maybe it's whoosh, one big change at a time. Maybe it's a series of dominoes that are toppling over that God is leading to to bring about change. But God wants not to enhance your life, but to change your life. What does that look like? Well, it's going to look differently for each and every one of us. But I pray that we'll be open, we'll be in tune to what God wants to do in us and with us and through us. And there are six words that I want you guys to remember as we go through our time together this morning, okay? Six words, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. Say it again, okay? For such a time as this. This morning we're going to kick it old school. We're going back to the Old Testament book of Esther. Okay, as you kind of leaf through, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you as you leaf through trying to find the book of Esther. We'll get you there in a second. I want to tell you about a, a woman named Sagan. Sagan grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia. And many, many years ago, her mind started to ponder something. She realized that a lot of students in her school, in her public school, were receiving free lunches. And this is what she wrote in her journal. I've been wondering what happens to the children during the summer when the free lunch program ends. At the close of the school year, what what did they eat? If they couldn't afford lunch for nine months of the year, what did they do for the other three months? That's a pretty deep, complex thing to think about. And her concern prompted her not only to think about that, but to take action, to do something to serve those around her. The scripture which is read to uh, the, the different churches, she, she would go and she would lead these different conferences at churches. She would read certain scripture that talks us to take action, to respond to what God is doing. And she wrote that I began to focus on the verses of Jesus serving other people and I wanted to serve those because I saw the immediate need around us. He was calling us to help the children because I was the right person to do so for such a time as this. So she jumped in and she started something called the Kids' Kitchen. During the summer months, they served lunch to children from maybe some of the the more uh, impoverished parts of town. She started a massive speaking circuit in which she would go speaking to, to civic groups and church groups. And she would talk about her passion to serve meals in the summer to those children in their neighborhood. She gained support at first from 10 churches. That's, that's pretty incredible. And then countless individuals started signing up to help this kid's kitchen. She made it happen, eventually overseeing 130 volunteers. It's pretty incredible. And by the way, when she started this ministry, when she started this kid's kitchen, when things started to fuel this growth to over 130 volunteers and thousands and thousands of lunches being served in the span, in many cases, of just a week, She was only eight years old. Wow, if she at eight can do something like that, imagine the ways in which God is going to take our experiences and our passions and our calling to do something that is not only enhancing to our community, but literally changing our community. And this morning, Scripture speaks of a similar response to God. God is calling someone to take action, and in this case, the woman named Esther, she does just that. I'll give you some backstory, okay, but here's the key thing I want you to take away from it, for such a time as this. Let's go to the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Now, let me give you a little bit of indication of what we're talking about. The book of Esther is one of only two books in the entire Bible that doesn't mention the word God doesn't have God's name at all. The only other one is Song of Songs because that one is an allegory or a story comparing God's love to the, the, the love that a husband has for his wife or vice versa. But the book of Esther, nowhere does it say the word God. Now, you can read through it, which we're going to do. And you can just see God's presence, the movement of the Holy Spirit, just dripping all over it. But nowhere does it mention God. So Esther makes no mention of the word God, but like I said, it's dripping the context. You can see God moving. You can see the ways in which God is engaging his people and calling his people to respond. In this passage, we're hearing from her uncle. His name is Mordecai. Like I said, I'll give you a little bit of backstory in a second. But Mordecai is responding to Esther. And hear what he says. This is verse 13, chapter 4. Mordecai sent back an answer Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's home and family will perish. But who knows But that you were called to come to your royal position for such a time as this such a time as this what is the backstory what does this mean what's going on what is Mordecai saying to Esther who is Esther we're going to answer those in a question in just a second okay let's go to God in prayer dear heavenly father we thank you for the gift of your word we ask that the Holy Spirit stir within us affirming the truth of scripture and Lord this morning may we not only learn about you but because of the movement of your presence may we learn from you Lord God, we thank you for the claim and the calling that you have placed upon each of us. And may we respond to that claim. May we respond to that calling. May our lives reflect the fact that we are yours. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor in all that we do. Amen. We're going to go back to the book of Esther in a second. But first, let me give you a a brief backstory to what we talk about when we talk about unconditional love. My wife and I, we have two children, David. He's a sixth grader. Grace Ann, who's a third grader. And our son kind of takes after his dad in the sense that he loves aviation. He loves flying. Whenever we go somewhere, he can tell you what kind of plane we're on, and he can tell you all this information. He's got some model planes, as do I. He has this giddy sense of excitement when he gets to fly. And at our former church, there was a pilot who essentially gave us two free tickets to go anywhere in the continental USA we wanted to go, but it was only for literally one night. So we had to figure out where we could go to to make the most out of our time. And knowing my son loves flying and loves going to the airport, we read about uh, the, the Marriott at the Tampa airport in Florida. They've got the airport. It's eight eight floors, eight stories tall. It overlooks the runway, and you can see planes taking off and landing. All these people who are aviation photographers will flock to the Tampa airport. They have a lot of aviation conferences there because, again, you can see the runway. You can see the planes departing and arriving, and I thought it would be cool if we had a Daddy David Day, 3D as we call it, Daddy David Day. We'd always do something kind of different, a little bit unusual. And like I said, we were going to go to Tampa, we were going to land, fly out the next day, but spend the afternoon, the few hours that we had, and spend that night, spend early next morning, watching airplanes take off and land. So when I called and I booked the reservation, I said, we want to specifically ask for a room, the highest room possible, that overlooks the runway. They said, okay, that wouldn't be a problem. So the day comes, we even were able to to find a cheap fare and in addition to our free tickets. My daughter, Grace Ann, she came. My wife, she's a school counselor. She actually had to be at work for a teacher work day. But my kids and I, we flew down to Tampa. So during the flight, the kids were excited. They were pumped up. They couldn't wait to see what was going to happen. I think part of it, they knew they were going to get to go to dinner at the TGI Fridays in the Tampa airport, and that really, really excited them. So we land at the airport, and we made our way to the Marriott. It's connected to the airport, so you literally just walk from the gate to this hotel lobby. We were about to check in, and they gave us our keys, and we quickly went to our room. We were on the eighth floor. We open up the door, I drop down my briefcase and the kids drop down their backpacks and we rush to see the mirror, or the window, excuse me, and it, 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 there's a, a shade or a curtain that's in front of it. We draw back the curtain, can't wait to see these massive aircraft in front of us taking off or landing, and guess what we saw? Yeah, we were all kind of crestfallen. We opened the big curtain and what do we see? You can look down and you can see the air conditioning unit of the building right next to ours, runway nowhere to be seen. So I called down to the front desk. I said, look, I'm not the kind of person to complain. I promise. I uh, just thank you for the job that you do. But, but we specifically asked for a room so that we could watch the airplanes land and take off. That's our whole purpose for coming, literally our whole purpose for coming. They said, okay, we're sorry. We apologize. We'll take care of it. Uh, a few minutes later, there's a knock at our door. We open the door, and it's a bellhop. And he has another key in his hand, and he says, here's the key to your new room. I was relieved. I thanked him. And he said, No, I'm going to escort you to your new room. So we grab the the briefcase and we grab the backpacks and we're walking through the Tampa Marriott. On our way to our new room, we we take an elevator, we go up one floor, and then we're walking around a meandering maze of hallways until finally we get to this door actually, two doors standing next to each other. and, And he puts in the key. And I look up on the wall. Right next to the door is a big golden plaque, and it says Presidential Suite. Yeah, you guys know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> the presidential suite. We open up the door, and there's this gorgeous layout of modern furniture. You can see the, the big window that takes up the entire span of, of the wall. He gave us a remote control, and he opened the shades. The shades bzz, went up. Bzz, the curtains went open. And you had this massive view, this panoramic view of the runways. There were four bedrooms in the presidential suite, including a spiral staircase inside that you could take up to the next floor where there were two more bedrooms. This was the nicest place I've ever been in our lives. It was so much so that the next day when it was time to go, I'm thinking, maybe I can finagle another day out of this trip somehow. (laughs) My gosh, we don't want to leave. We thought that we were simply going to go and enjoy this time together, but but God had something greater in store than we ever could have scripted. And that's what I want you to realize in just a few minutes as we walk back out of these doorways and you walk back into your so-called normal life, that you can realize, no, maybe this isn't all there is. Maybe God is going to surprise you. Maybe God's going to shock you. Maybe God's going to stun you. God certainly wants to bless you in ways that you never, ever thought possible. And our scripture this morning in Esther, it speaks to the ways in which God is providing protection to people who are going through situations that are scary or unfamiliar. But you can look and you can see God's fingerprints dripping all over it. It also speaks of the ways in which God is protecting those who don't even fully understand that they need to be protected, that they don't fully understand the fact that they need God's presence and guidance. So here's a little bit of backstory to the book of Esther. It takes place 450 years before Christ was born. Esther is the name of a beautiful young maiden. Hey, okay, Like I said, nowhere in the book of Esther does it mention the word God We keep in mind how the story unfolds. Let me also stress that it's a culture that is vastly different from ours. Okay, so there are things in the story that might make us a little uncomfortable because they are different uh, than what maybe we're used to. The story of Esther, it begins with Xerxes. Xerxes is the king of Persia, one of the massive, most stable empires of that day and age. He ruled over the Persian Empire that ranged all the way from India to Ethiopia. He was a strong, towering figure who was powerful in battle and just as intimidating in person. He decided to throw a massive feast for all of his kingdom. Everyone was invited to the palace to enjoy the finest of food and to drink as much as they wanted. And during the feast, the king decides to bring in his beautiful queen. Her name was Vashti. And he called in his wife Vashti to come and parade in front of all of the people. But she was nervous. She didn't like the fact that she was being treated this way as a mere possession or object. And so she refused to do that. This angered the king so much that he made the decision to go seek another wife. He decided that he needed a new queen. And so basically, essentially what he did is he had a beauty contest in which over 400 women from different parts of his kingdom would come and he would just seemingly pick one at random. I know it's not politically correct. That's just the way that they did it back during part of that time. We knew the king was a tyrant, and so it wasn't even the norm for most people, but it was just in his selfishness, the ways that he did things. So, there's this young woman named Hadassah. Her name was also Esther. Esther came onto the scene. She had been orphaned when she was a child, and she was raised by her uncle. His name was Mordecai. Now, Mordecai knew the king, barely, but he knew the king because he was employed by the king. He was the king's gatekeeper. This king had this massive palace, and the gatekeeper was a pretty important person because he knew all the information. He knew who was coming and who was going. So Mordecai, Esther's uncle, he was the gatekeeper. Esther was noticed because of her beauty, and she had this innocence about her. And not only was she beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, she had this brave character. She had this sweet spirit. But Esther was also keeping a big secret from the king. You see, she was Jewish. The Jews were the rivals of the Persians. And she didn't want to tell the king that she was Jewish for fear of, number one, maybe losing her life, but also maybe the life of her family members as well. And so in Esther 2.10, we read, Esther did not make it known her people or her kindred. For to Mordecai, remember her uncle, the gatekeeper to the king, Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make those things known. So Esther became the queen. And if this were some weird fairy tale, we would say, okay, then they live happily ever after. But no, in the book of Esther, they don't live happily ever after. Every good story has a protagonist and a what? antagonist. Yeah, you guys are good. A protagonist and then the antagonist, okay? The the, the bad guy, basically, you could say. And in this story, there's the bad guy, not only the king, but also kind of his secretary of state, as you will, this high-ranking government official. His name was Hanan. Hanan would stop at nothing to grab power, to seize control, Hanan was the the antagonist in this story. He had a strong, deep-rooted hatred for the Jewish people. And he hatched this plot to exterminate the entire Jewish race from the Persian Empire. The only thing he had to do is get the king's permission. Now, Mordecai, he kind of knew what was going on. Mordecai was Jewish, obviously, as well. And he was scared to death of what was going to happen to his family, to his friends, and to his people. So King Xerxes signed a decree, never realizing that his wife would be affected by this. Basically, that was a death sentence for all of the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. Think about this. Now, Esther is the queen. Hanan, this high-ranking government official, said that all of the people who were Jewish were going to perish. Why did Esther become queen? Well, now we go to Esther 4. Verses 13 and 14, remember those six words I told you to remember? For such a time as this. Mordecai sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. In other words, Esther, you're not immune from this either, okay? Once the king finds out, you're going to be in world's hurt. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for all the Jews will arise from another place. Notice that he's saying they're going to be delivered. God's going to act on this. God's going to rescue us. God's going to redeem us. And Esther, you have the chance to be a part of that. But notice, Esther, if you don't want to be a part of that, God's still going to do it. God's still going to rescue us. You just won't be a part of that. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? I like verse 14. In other words, Esther. Uh, You you can act like you don't know what's going on, but the truth is you have the chance to do something bold and brave, something that is going to save the people. And how do you think all of this stuff was orchestrated for you to become queen right when Hanan is rising to power, right when King Xerxes says we're going to get rid of the Jewish people? You are here, Queen Esther, for such a time as this. If you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew 1, you you read this long list of names. It's kind of unnerving at times to open to the New Testament and immediately come to this list of names. It's basically a genealogy of all of the people who lead up to the birth of Jesus, this genealogy. But think, if all of the Jewish people had been wiped off the planet the way Hanan wanted them to, you would never have all of these people who would make up the lineage of Jesus. If ever Satan had a golden opportunity to wipe out God's plan for the messianic line, this was the time. But instead, for such a time as this, Esther was where she was. For such a time as this. God has you, my friends, in a place for such a time as this. You come here with a sphere of influence. You have people who will listen to you, people who are following you, people who are touched and influenced by your presence in their lives. Maybe you have attained a position for such a time as this. You know, people in your neighborhood who are suffering or who are grieving. And God puts you in their lives and them in yours such a time as this for you young folks those of you in school there are kids that are sitting around you who are coming from hurting homes or maybe they're battling feelings in which they just don't feel accepted or loved maybe just reaching out inviting them to play a game with you inviting them to sit with you at lunch will mean a huge difference in their lives and in their growth for such a time as this There are people in your families, maybe in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your community who may come to church if you invited them. They they, they trust you for such a time as this. In what ways is God calling your life to intersect with the life of someone else for such a time as this? So you can have a holy influence on those around you for such a time as this. It's been said that everyone brings joy into a room. Some people when they enter, some people when they leave. <laughs> You'll get it in a second. I pray that you can be the type of person who brings hope and joy into a room, into a relationship, into that intersection. That because of our faith, people can see people living lives of faith. That people can see the good news of Jesus Christ and they can know that that is good news. They can see a difference. They can see a difference from the rest of the culture. And maybe they can even see a difference in you from the way your life is now between the way it was before. There's the difference in our lives because of the presence and the power and the redemption and the plan and the hope that Christ has in store for us. The best testimony, the best evidence is that of a changed life. Can people see that change in you? I hope that they can. Can people see that change in me? I hope and I pray that they can. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter says, "...in your hearts revere Christ as Lord." Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If someone were to know that you're going through a hard time and they ask about your source for hope, that you could say, yeah, I'm a strong person. I've got a great family. But can they say that Christ is a part of that. Would we be willing to to, to proclaim that? Because maybe God had intersected lives for such a time as this. When is the last time maybe you treated your spouse in such a way or you ran your business in such a way or you spent your money in such a way that made someone else around you perk up and say, Wow, there's something genuine, something special, something authentic, something different about that and we can say for such a time as this god is at work in our lives do you have hope in your life i hope that you do and if you don't i pray that you can see all the folks around you who are willing to walk with you through the hurts and the valleys of life and to celebrate the highs and the joys of life that's why we talk about the community of faith next sunday we're going to have communion holy communion the word communion community are from the same root. The word communion literally means common union. Those things we have in store together. That when we leave this place this morning and we go back to our homes and our offices and our schools, that we can realize there's something deeper that pulls us together for such a time as this. It's that everyday obedience to God. Those, the, the, the fact that we're receptive to God's every command and the fact that we are receiving and open to what it is that God's calling us to do, who God is calling us to impact that really leads to this life that leads to an evidence of new faith. We think of big events, somebody going into the ministry or seminary or the mission field in another country, but no, just the fact that you and I are here together may be enough to show faith and hope to those around us. When you look at your life, can you see the fingerprints of God dripping all over it? And sometimes the season we go through is gonna be long lasting. Other times it might be short because it's one domino toppling over another and then another and then another. Because friends, you can't change your past, but you can allow God to change your future. For such a time as this, I pray that we're willing to follow Christ, to live our lives for God, to see what he has in store, for us and with us and through us. Finally, let me share with you about a guy who was for such a time as this. His name is one that you won't recognize, Stanislav Petrov. Stanislav Petrov, an unfamiliar name, but we kind of owe a little bit of gratitude towards him. Let me share his story. During the Cold War, Petrov was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet military. It was just past midnight on September 26, 1983. It was Petrov's duty to use computers and satellites to warn of an incoming nuclear attack. In the event of attack, the Soviet Union would launch an immediate all-out attack weapons to counteract the Americans' attack. And on this particular day in September of 1983, something went wrong. Petrov went on duty. The computer alarm sounded, warning that an American missile was heading toward the Soviet Union. Lieutenant Colonel Petrov reasoned that probably was a, uh, some sort of computer error. Okay, number one, it just didn't seem like it was going to happen. And number two, if there was a a nuclear attack, it wasn't just going to be one missile. So he just ignored it. But then a short time later, the situation turned really, really grave and serious. Another computer alarm went off telling him that he needed to, to strike back. Then it showed a third missile being launched. And then a fourth and then a fifth. The sound of the alarms in this room was deafening. In front of Lieutenant Colonel Petrov, the word start, albeit in Russian, was flashing in bright lettering, the instruction indicating that he had to, to uh, launch another missile. But, but he didn't do it. Something about it just said, no, this just, just doesn't seem right. He only had a few minutes, though, to figure out what he was going to do. He tried to reach out to someone else. Nobody else was available for him to to, kind of run this by. What is he going to do? It seemed like all the eyes were upon him. He sent out the information to a chain of command, but, but nobody seemed to respond. So he didn't do anything. Minutes and then seconds and more seconds and more minutes, they started to pass. And everything remained quiet. No missiles, no incoming attack, no destruction, his decision not to act had been appropriate. He had prevented a worldwide nuclear war. His decision had then shed light on the Soviet Union and how messed up they were internally. As a result, he was overlooked when it came time to promotions. He actually was given a lower level job. He didn't launch an attack when all eyes were on him. The rest of the world wouldn't even know that story until decades later. He passed away not too long ago. The interesting thing is he wasn't originally scheduled to be on duty that night. He filled in for someone else at the last minute. But think about how the world would have changed if he didn't respond the way he didn't respond. It's good to know that he was on duty for such a time as this. Going back to Esther, you want to know the end of that story. Esther, the... Queen convinced her husband, King Xerxes, to get rid of Hanan, saying that he was a political threat, which he was. He wanted to get rid of all the Jewish people. Now he wasn't given the chance to do that. Esther saved the Jewish people through such a time as this. And there are times in your life, in my life, in our daily grind, in which God is calling us to stand up for such a time as this. Maybe forgiving someone who hurts you. In such a time as this, when all the world says no, hold on to a grudge, for such a time as this, God is calling us to forgive. God is calling us to reach out. God is calling us to love. God is calling us to live in the Spirit and not by the flesh. Are you going to embrace the new life that God wants you to have, or are you simply going to wade through the old, holding on to what you've already got? Are you going to walk without a, or leave this place walking out with a spiritual limp or spiritual blindness with which you came in? Or are you going to allow yourself to experience the freedom and the hope and the peace that can only come from God? Friends, I pray that you can recognize that unconditional love that God has for you. and You can realize that God led us together for such a time as this this morning. So you can see and you can recognize, you can taste, you can hear, you can fully understand, and then you can respond to the grace that God has for you. God has something special in sync for you and for me, in store for you and for me. Are we willing to open up our hands to receive it? Are we going to simply clutch them and walk out just as we came in? Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus, to save us. Allow your Holy Spirit to work in us, to meet our spirit at the point of our deepest need. And Father, how are you calling us to respond? How are you calling to act on the message that you have given us this morning? Allow us to understand your goodness and how much you love us, that you are the Lord of lords, the one who is worthy of our praise. You are the one who offers us the gift of eternal life and the gift of your peace and presence in this life. And Lord, maybe some of us have never said yes to you before, and what a, what a beautiful opportunity it is this morning to do that. Or maybe, Lord, we have. We've said yes to Jesus as Savior, but, but maybe not as Lord. We accept your gift of salvation and grace, and as you wash away our sin and give us a new beginning, I pray that we can recognize that goodness and that truth that can only come from you. That we stand in the light and the lens of your love, everything pales in comparison. The hurts, the disappointments, the sin, that, Lord, we can focus on you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are a couple of different ways that we are able to respond to God, to to say, yes, I want to follow you, Lord. Next weekend, we have the big GIC. That stands for the Global Impact Celebration in which we see all of the different ways in which Chapel Roswell and RUMC is in mission all around the world and just even around the corner. One of the ways, too, in which we're called to respond is through our giving. We're not giving just to support a good cause, but rather giving is our way of saying, yes, God, we trust you, we believe you, and we place our faith in you. They're offering baskets around. You can see different ways to give as well online through the app, through texting. We've got a giving kiosk and also through the baskets. Friends, it's not about where we've been. It's about where God is taking us. And I pray that we can be on that journey together.